So welcome back. We're here for the uh, the latest episode of Percussion Discussion, and uh, I'm absolutely thrilled to have with me the premier drum tech in the UK, the main man, Mr. Yard Gavrilovich. Yard, thanks for doing this, mate. You're welcome. I, I hope I got I got the title somewhere close to the mark. Anyway, yeah, no, that's good enough. <laughs> Whenever drum tech is mentioned, your name usually uh, is closely followed, so that's it's certainly good enough for me. Yeah. So I appreciate you doing this. So I guess, um, you know, everyone knows who you've worked for. Well, certainly some of the, some of the, the, the huge names. I mean, wh where, did it, where did drumming begin for you? I mean, you've obviously, you obviously played drums and have played. I, yeah, I used to. And then um, well, it started for me when I lived in Notting Hill. And I remember playing along to records with knitting needles, all that stuff everyone does, on an armchair. And then... Um, the Beatles came in, Tamla, Soul, all that stuff where you get your feels from. And it, and it just grew from there. And eventually I left school, bought my first kit, made up of about four different brands, <laughs> and, and just did what I did and then joined bands when I got enough confidence mm. when I was about 17 or so. And then um, – it kind of just grew from there like anybody's career does, you know. Yeah, of course. And then um, I sort of kept at it till I was about, with all those dreams you have of doing the marquee and then the house with Odeon. Um, and then uh, it weren't working out and I'd never get a bit of publishing money, so I thought it's time to move on. And I, I just dropped back into construction and earned a, earned a living from that. Mm. for many years and then because of my brother-in-law who we played in bands together and stuff as kids um he went on to go professional and so we kind of he lived with us at different times and all that kind of stuff mm. so i always kept a, a hand in the pie um through him really and then it was actually him who kind of got me back into it years later <laughs> so uh, i just quite fortunate yeah so so how, how did obviously you know you, you obviously loved playing everyone drummers had hopefully all yeah. loved playing how at what point did you think you know i, I can i can transition to to, to become a, a you know a tech a drum tech how, how does that happen well when i came back into it um it it started where he was playing in bands with with um famous people and but we do um, gigs in pubs when they weren't on the road and they'd just say they'd phone each other up and say do you want to do a gig in Camden on Saturday night and they just go in and do covers you know they might do one or two of their own songs each and all that kind of stuff and um, and then they got me involved and then as it went on and I loved it and as it went on um, they said you should do this for a living we think you'd be good at it mm. so I thought yeah, sounds good to me. And then I was, we just carried on doing that and different things. And then eventually um, I started doing less construction and more on the road with bands. Right. And uh, it just kind of grew from there. And um, I was just lucky who I fell in with, to be honest. And most of it, and due to my running a business, um, that gives you a way of dealing with people, dealing with money, budgets, all that kind of stuff, which was good training without you knowing it. Yeah. So my life has been intertwined with construction 
and with bands, dealing with people, and running crews and organising. That's what I like. I, I love the production side, which I got to do quite a bit of in the end. Mm. So it was just basically that. It just grew from there. Yeah. So if you were doing production, general production, would you yeah. still do drums as well? or is, is I used to with the smaller bands, but there's no way you can do it no. when you're doing arenas and stuff. Yeah. You just can't spread yourself too thin. And there's lots of stuff that goes on in the office, even people phoning up about the guest list and all that kind of stuff and whatever it is. And you're always dealing with something. Um, so you've got to be in that office to knock things back into shape so you're there to answer questions and stuff. But in the early days, yeah, we used to, you'd wear three or four hats with smaller bands. Mm. And that's where you get your training from, you know. And um, so I, I loved all of it. I know when I worked for FM, which was the first band I came back in with, um, it was fabulous. You know, you, you do like production, stage, wardrobe, I even did. <laughs> um, and, you know, drums, or I did keyboards to start with. Oh, right, okay. Because we, we'd already got a good drum tech and he'd been there for a few years, so you can't elbow people out. And there was a position going as keyboard tech and I said, well, I'm not at all technical. If you show me what you want, I'll do it, you know. And we, and we did it like that. I never felt confident, you know. Programming and keyboards is, is boring to me. It's, it's, it's as bad as being a bricklayer, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you want to be a carpenter if you want to do anything. <laughs> No, it's it's just how it grew, and then I love doing that, and um, and it kind of worked out. Mm. But that gives you basic grounding for moving on. Yeah. So you've got you've had you, you were the go-to guy with FM. If there was an issue, you were the man to sort it, whatever it may. Well, that was that was our job. You know, we'd we'd leave, mm. go straight to the gig, start setting up, getting everything ready. So when the band come in, they're ready to sound check. Mm. So you don't hang around at the gig too long for the band. Yeah, sure. In later years, when you're doing the bigger name artists and stuff, um, we do the crew sound checks. Right. You know, so, because everything just gets better, you know, like the, the monitor guy is great, front of house is great. They know exactly what they're doing and they've worked with all the top names. And I trust their opinion, whereas I'm not technical at all. So, when they tell me stuff, I'll take their word on it, you know, because I know they've got that pedigree. And I don't interfere in it. That's another thing with production. I never interfere with anyone else's gig. Mm. Just like, you know what you're doing. You know, you don't call the lighting people in and start telling them how to light the show. Of course. You bring them in because of their reputation and someone's called for them. And then you leave them to it. And then you're just there to, you know, knock things into place when needed. Yeah. I I can imagine, yeah, you're going to lose friends pretty quickly if you start. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, never profess to know everything. You know, I know, I know production, I know drums. Mm. I say I'm great on percussion, but I do percussion. But I wouldn't, you know, blow my trumpet on that one. Yeah. But um, most of it is getting along with the people you're working for, mm. so they like having you around. Yeah. You know, you could, you can be the greatest tuner in the world, whatever that is. You know, but our job is to create the tuning for the drummer mm. and not to tune it for ourselves. And yeah. it took me a little while to learn that. You don't just tune a kit and say, right, there you are. Yeah. Every day it's got to be how they like it and not how you like it. That must be... Um, do you? Um, how do you go about learning 
to get that sound. Do you do you do it from CDs or MP3s, or do you just sit with the drummer and? No, no. It's, um, well, we're fortunate with with the bigger name bands. We'll normally rehearse for two, three weeks, maybe more sometimes, depending what's going on. So by then, you'll get to know the sound, yeah, and roughly the pitch level and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then it's kind of I start with every drummer with a clean slate. Yeah, I never go in with pre ideas of anything. Mm. And you you have a chat, you have a cup of tea and all that, and talk about what you like, what you don't like, where, where you know, even things like where do you like the hi hat clutch facing, yeah. you know, whether he does it left handed or right handed, whatever. Yeah, and then you do all them things. Yeah. So by by the end of your rehearsals, you know, and even the songs, you know, you, you're watching every movement they make, and you know, knowing the song tells you when you can move in to adjust something if, it, if it's loosened or anything like because you don't want to get in when it's just in the middle of a huge field. <laughs> yeah. you know? So you've got to know the songs, you've got to know every aspect and you've got to watch. Never take your eye off the ball and watch the crowd because that's when you're in the wrong. Yeah. I find, just... this, I find this totally fascinating. I really do. It's a side that mere mortals don't, we, we don't get to see this. We, we, oh, we, we go and enjoy a great show some great playing, great sounding drums, but we don't see the what goes on in the background. So I think this is this is great. It's enlightening this for for. Yeah, well, there is. You just got to pay attention, and that's that's what you paid for. You know, when 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 they're on stage, <clears throat> um, you know, after sound check, and the sound crew will say, "Great," you know, and I, especially with Gad, I hit of a similar weight. I was told by the monitor man. He said, he says, when you do sound check, because you hit of a similar weight. Yeah. We can see on our desk. Yeah, of course. Things where uh, should be where they are. And I said, are you telling me I play like Steve? He said, no. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> no, he was lying. <laughs> For example, I mean, Steve is, is obviously, he's, he's, he's an icon, isn't he? You know, and deservedly so. When you, you'll go to a venue, I guess you'll unbox the, the kit. I mean, do, you, do would Steve just appear on the gig and that's that? Or would he? Is yeah, Steve... We do the sound check. So you're responsible for he will he trusts you 110 percent to have that kit in the right everything's ready for him and that is yes, that. that's, our, that's our job. That's that's some responsibility though, isn't it? So they basically come in, hmm. and sometimes you might not see them until they're at the bottom of the stairs on the wing. Yeah, and then the lights go down, and then up they come, hmm. and that's the first time I might see him during the day. That's amazing. That's. That's what you're paid for, you know. And I like doing the sound check. I like to know things are in place and, yeah. and you know, and the sound's right. And, yeah. And then I can relax, you know. But um, it, it's just down. It's evolved, you know. I've been with him quite a few years now. And you kind of, it's just second nature. You know? mm. So so while he's, while he's playing during the gig, you're literally sat just behind I, him, I guess. I sit to his, I sit to his left. Yeah, and I hide behind my boxes there, and I, I've got a little screen up that stops me making eye contact with the crowd. Yeah, yeah. And so, and then the side is empty, so I can see him through there. Yeah, I'm hidden in my workbox end. So if he's got an issue that, that you perhaps can't see, or he, he can, he straight, he can see eye contact with you straight away. The only thing, well, the only thing I can't see is his left foot pedal. Right. Because the, the 
monitors and stuff. Yeah. I can't see down there, but um, he'd soon turn around and then he'd just move his head. Yeah. And I'll go up. But, um, you know, if I see him look down, straight away I think, oh, what's up? And then I'll move around and see, yeah. Yeah. you know, you're right, you know, wing nuts, all that stuff. We watch them all the time. And so just regular stuff that happens to any drummer. Yeah, yeah. Just, just you know, show maintenance, I call it. Yeah, of course, of course. Generally, most things are fine, you know. Yeah. And uh, you just have to pray that nothing happens major. Have you, have you ever had anything? Obviously, that's not, you know, that's beyond yeah. anybody's fault. The only thing I dread is, is the bass drum head going through. Oh. Because... He rarely changes heads. Oh, really? Despite what all other drummers tell me I should be doing, mm. he, he, he loves them worn in mm. and going thin. And that's when they start sounding good. Yeah, yeah. And, um, but he, he tells me, basically, you know, like with the snare, I think, oh, it's, that might go through tonight. And you can see right through it, all the coating's gone. <laughs> and, um, and then he'll... He would say, I think we should get the other snare up and then I'll get ready to swap them out. And then he'll say, he'll put his hand on it again and he'll say, no, I think we're all right for another song. <laughs> he, he, he won't change it until it actually breaks. Right, okay. So Living on the edge. <laughs> and that's why you have to pay attention. Yeah, yeah. But he knows what to do. He moves his hand up onto the second tom. Yeah. Tom, and plays the ride. And then I just pull one out, drop one in. And that's why you never do your cradle up tight. Yeah. You know, people seem to think the snare is going to fly up in the air if you don't. <laughs> it's going to stay there, you know, so you have to have enough room and to move the mics, quickly pull it out, drop the other one in. It's got to be pretty slick, that, hasn't it? Yeah, it's normally about two beats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not a lot of time. Um... No, no, but it does that. But the only other problem is, is if his main pedal has a problem where sometimes he snaps the beater in half. Wow, okay. And, um, so I always have one in the leg of the stand Yeah. right next to it. So you can lie on your back, quickly pull it out, drop it in. And he just moves his foot over to the left pedal yeah. and carries on playing. <laughs> and so nobody's any of the wiser in the, in the audience? No, Not, nothing? Thinks, you know, he, he knows what he's doing. The worst thing is if you've got someone who's a, who's a panicker. Mm. They, they, you always have to make a, a plan together. Yeah, That's, that sounds. It sounds like a match made in heaven with you two. I have to say, you know, uh, it really does. Well, we t- we tick along all right. Yeah, and you get you. You were saying before we started recording. You know, you said he's a great guy. You get on same sense of humour. Yeah, yeah, makes a uh, difference, doesn't it? Important to have a relationship where it's like cheers after time. You know, he's always coming in telling jokes and, <laughs> and stuff. You know. Yeah, so I we mean, do, we do the same. So, you know, once, once the gig's over, what's the routine then? You know, do you, uh, do you I, I assume you wouldn't clean stuff or shine it up till the next gig, I assume. Yeah, we, I never shine anything. Do you not? No. So that's... He doesn't, he, he doesn't have his cymbals polished. Yeah. He's old school. Yeah. yeah. And, and basically, once you've set everything up, I'll go around and wipe fingerprints off the stands yeah. and that cool. stuff. You know, you've got to make it look good. Yeah. Make sure the front head's got fingerprints off it so when the lights are on you don't see it <laughs> so you just had a you know a bacon sandwich on it <laughs> it's just that stuff making it look presentable yeah. he's he's a minimum fuss man you know that's good you don't have to 
you don't have to polish the symbols. He likes them aging. Yeah. You know, and that's it. You just listen to what they, some, some drummers like their symbols polished and he doesn't. Yeah. So you just do as you, as you're asked and that way you stay in work, you know, you just do what you're asked and that's it. Don't try and try and push him or try and add new stuff to it and, you know, come in with, oh, have you seen this? You know, because a lot of drummers that have been around a long time are not interested no. in new stuff. They're quite happy with their setup. They know what it does, the whole thing. But if he asks me, then I'll yeah. get it in, you know. It's kind of, if it's not broke, you know, don't exactly. fix it. Yeah, Ginger Baker was the same. Yeah. It's like he's had the same cymbal set since the 60s, mm. you know, ride and everything. And... They're not interested in new stuff. They, they, they've got their favourite drum kit. Yeah. And Ginger only had one drum kit. Really? Yeah. He didn't, he didn't go around his house and he got 25 kits stacked up. Mm. Different tracks, you know. It's just like, same with Steve, you know. Steve's got identical kits. Um, but he doesn't, you know, mess about too much. It's like that, his kit does all his recordings, the whole thing, you know. It's the same snare, whatever. Yeah. And that's that's how they do it, you know. They they're happy with their stuff, and they just tune it accordingly. Yeah. Well, I know Ginger Baker was <clears throat> not particularly a hard hitter. Now it sounded like it on recording. Yeah. 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 Well, exactly. Yeah. And uh, did you did you did you work with Ginger? Yeah, I did the Cream shows in two thousand five. Did you? <laughs> now, how 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 did you get on with Ginger? Because obviously, you know, you hear stories about um, <laughs> different sort of temperaments. The character. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I start, you know, I sort of thought when I first got the call, um, I, you know, I, I, he was part of my heroes growing up, you know, it's like in the days when you didn't have drums on TV all the time and YouTube videos, the whole thing, you didn't get anything these days, you know, but in those days it was very rare. All you saw was top of the box and, um, and they said to me, you know, I saw Ginger at the Albert Hall on, on the last Cream shows in black and white on TV and thought, Christ, you know. So when it came up, I thought, I've got to do it. You know, even if he's, if he's, if he is horrible, then I'll just jack in. Yeah. Walk away. Yeah. And as it turned out, he was great. You know, he was, uh, he was, he don't take no prisoners. No, I'm sure. No, but I went over to his house in South Africa and packed up all the kit, marked up the carpet. And, well, I did it in measurements, actually, because yep. um, we were going to have a new carpet on stage. So right. I measured everything and did a plan, took loads of photographs, brought it back, and stayed out there for a week at his place and then came back and then we set up for rehearsals. And he came in on the first day. We normally have a tech day for us where we set everything up, get the sounds up, so the band can play straight away when they come in. Yeah. And um, I remember him coming in at Bray Film Studios and uh, he got the cigarette in and he got his tinted glasses on, so I couldn't see his eyes, but he was way back at the other end. And he came in the door and he just stood there bolt upright and looked and I thought, oh, what's he thinking, you know? And then he got closer, had another drag of his fag, and got closer. And then he came up to me on stage and he said, I'm going to have to give you nine out of ten because if I give you ten, I'm going to have to go home. <laughs> and I thought, 
sort of relief. Yeah. Because you never know if he's going to kick off. Yeah. And, and then we just got on okay, you know. And then he, at the end, he just sent me a note when he got back home and just said, just said, yeah, great job. Thanks. And that was it. That's all I wanted. That's all you need, that, isn't it, really? Yeah. And I just thought, oh, I did it, you know. But, um, yeah, he was, he was one. If I'd have turned it down, someone else would have done it. Yeah, yeah, sure. I'm sure. kicking myself. Yeah. yeah. I mean, your, your CV is, is, is pretty incredible, really. And, and I was having a, a brief scan through this morning, <clears throat> and the name Charlie Watts came up. <sighs> I mean... <laughs> what a lovely man he is. Ah, that's um. It, what, what's I mean? I know he's a fan of talking jazz and big band stuff. I hear that time and time over from. Um, yeah. I mean, we know what his drumming's like, and, and we we know what his kit's like. How was how how was that for an experience working with Charlie? One of the best. Mm. He's all all the people at that level. Like they're all good friends as well. So. Charlie knows Gad and the whole thing, and they've got Im- immense respect for each other. Mm. And Charlie, he's, <laughs> he's a sarky as I am, <laughs> and uh, he, he loves messing around. He's not at all serious, and I loved every minute of working with Charlie. He, um, he loves drums. He loves his music. Um, but I got called in because our old friend Bill Harrison who used to work for The Who, and he worked for the Faces. And when he was busy, he used to be Ray Cooper's man. Okay. And he used to store Ray's and Ringo stuff in his unit and everything and do all that stuff, which goes back years with Bill. Yeah. Um, he, he called me up and said, would I cover Charlie for him? Because he was going out with Ray with Elton. And then... Um, so I met up with him, and, it, and he was doing the boogie-woogie stuff he does. Yeah. And um, I thought, great, you know. So I'd meet him at the airport, and he'd, he'd have his cymbal bag with him and his two speaking pedals and his stool and his hi-hat. And um, so we just go off and do some gigs in Germany and Austria, which is where boogie-woogie seems to be biggest. Yeah. And um, just have a nice time. You get just into a people carrier at the end of the gig. Charlie would just climb into the back. They'd put one of his jazz CDs on and he'd happily sit there for hours on end while we're driving. Mm. And not a murmur, you know, just laughing and joking and listening to his stuff, happy as anything. That's great to hear that. There's no drama, no get me a limo, no nothing. Mm. Mm. No one of the boys. And his best friend was in the band. Who, who lived next door to when they were growing up as kids from the age of five. Yeah. With Green. And uh, it was great listening to them. They were reminiscing about when they were kids and all that. And you think, but this is Charlie Watts. <laughs> do, you, do you ever have to pinch yourself, you know, when you, you're like, oh, I work with all these amazing drummers? And yeah. Well, the thing is, for me, is um, they're all just people. Mm. You know, once... You know, they're all heroes. I've worked worked with, really, all of my heroes Mm. at some point. Um, And all I care about is whether they're nice people or not. They're great players, and they've they've given me an amazing upbringing, listening to what they do and giving me a lot of pleasure. 
But at the end of it, it's just whether they're nice or not, because they can play great. And if they're not nice, I don't want to work for them. You know, I, I, I've got no qualms about walking away. Yeah. You know, it's just like, nah. You know, just be decent. Just be a gentleman. And they, they, you know, even Ginger to the core, they've all been great with me. Yeah. You know? And um, that's what I loved. I loved the camaraderie in the music business. How people appreciate each other yeah. and learn from each other and how giving they are of their talent people who come up you know especially kids you know I've, I've had to go out into the crowd and give a kid a pair of sticks you know because steve will say to me see that kid on his dad's shoulders he said can you make sure he gets a pair of sticks brilliant so at the end i'll have to quickly go out before they walk off and give the kid a pair of sticks and, and good moments where some people might just ah, forget it don't worry about it that's that's a lovely touch isn't it that it is yeah and that's what i love about them you know and then that's how we become mates, you know. They're not like this huge icon. They're just, you know, they come in and go, hello, mate, you're right, you know. Just, just work. Yeah, yeah. What a job, though. Can, can, <laughs> I, can I ask you, if you don't mind me asking, how, how, how different um, is, um, or how differently do you travel to the guys in the band? Is it, is it um, do you do more time on buses or? <clears throat> well, in the old days, we used to share a bus with the band. Yeah. You know, when you have to, you know, you can't, you know, small bands can't afford a few buses on the road. Of course. And hotels, you know, we'll have our own room. No one, no one shares. Yeah. But in the old days, you know, you'd share a room with someone and you'd share the bus, you know. But now it's kind of, we have a few buses and then, you know, stop at a nice hotel for a day off or whatever. Mm. Um, and, um, it's top class, really, you know, but with certain bands I work for, they have their own plane, which jets them about and, and stuff, you know. Um, so I don't, don't really know what goes on on that side, to be honest. <laughs> oh. <laughs> we're happy. We get luxury buses and it's like home on wheels, you know. Yeah, yeah. So do, do you like being on tour? Do you enjoy it? <clears throat> yeah, yeah, I, I do. I like, I like the travelling. I like, I like seeing the world. Mm. I like I like meeting people, you know. Wherever whatever country we go to, we're kind of fated, you know. You get there, and, and from the moment you step into a hotel, people fall over themselves to help you. Yeah, you know, they're all polite and nice, and, and I'm amazed how many people can speak English across the world. Yeah, you know, you go there, and, and um, even like going to Latvia or Belarus or something, and you go into a supermarket, and you're thinking, "Oh, how am I going to say this?" And then and they say to me. Would you like a bag? <laughs> and I'm thinking, ah, she got me. <laughs> oh, lovely. It amazes me the, the amount of effort people put into their lives. Yeah. You know, and they're, they're just on normal wages and stuff, you know. Yeah, of course. I love it. You know, I love, I've loved all of it. You know, my, I've got a brother who lives in Sweden. I, my late brother, my eldest brother, lived in Canada from the early 70s, you know. Yeah. So it's great because you could, you, you know, you go there to do a gig and you bump into family and all that kind of stuff. And I've got friends all over the place, you know, all over, right across America that are fantastic people. And you just sort of think, I wish they lived closer. Yeah, of course. See them more often. But I have to ask, do you, obviously you spend a lot of time abroad in, you know, amazing places. Do you ever go on holiday or do you go, no, all right, I've travelled enough, thanks. Well, I didn't for a long time. Yeah, my wife insists we do go 
different places. But she would say, what about so-and-so? I go, oh, I've been there. <laughs> <laughs> but you have to make the effort. You know, I, I love Italy. Mm. Um, I've always loved Italy. And my, my son, who's on the road as well, he loves Italy. Yeah, yeah. We love everything about it. We love the architecture, the people. Um, I love the thing where the grandparents are respected and it goes through the whole family, all the generations, you know, uh, just like, like the way they live. Mm. And, you know, we've, we've talked about it quite often about moving out into, you know, to Italy and stuff. Absolutely. Due to the current climate, not sure that will happen now, but... No. Um, kind of brings me on to my next question and it's not a particularly cheerful bit this but the whole brexit thing it's it's going to cause chaos isn't it with, with touring musicians touring technicians and it's yeah. it's not pleasant is it the future for things like that well, it's um <coughs> it, it just creates a lot more paperwork yeah and a lot more money yeah, <laughs> yeah. And visas and all that kind of stuff mm. when you know i've never agreed with brexit i just think it's really short-sighted and as for all that, you know, give us our power back and our control, it's a load of nonsense. Yeah, totally. Because to have power and control, we have to have a, you have to have a decent government that's in. Mm. You know? So um, I've always loved the community. I love the fact that you can get on a bus in London, wake up the next day, you know, in any part of Europe without having to get up during the night to break through the passport office. Absolutely. And I love the, you know, especially with my shop, shipping stuff abroad. Mm. It's dead easy, you know. I just, I just type in the address and the whole thing. Next minute, you know, some guy comes and picks up my boxes and the next day they're in Germany. Yeah. yeah. You know, without too much fuss. Now it's custom, customs papers fill in and, you know, free copies and the whole thing. It's just going to cause chaos to everybody. And... I mean, I'm gonna. I'm not gonna carry on my shop for much longer. Mm. You know, I've got to an age now where I just don't want to do it anymore. Speaking of the shop, um, it, it's it, there's, you've got some lovely stuff. This is it's mainly vintage stuff, isn't it? There's not a yeah. huge amount of new stuff. It's... No, I don't do any new stuff. Right. Okay. There's no. There's no point. There's so many shops doing it, yeah. and all all each shop is doing in my book is trying to undercut each other. Yeah. You know, you could. I've said to people before, you could have 10 units in a row and everyone on a laptop. It wouldn't matter where your shop is. Whereas in the old days, it had to be kind of in your town or close by somewhere or whatever. And now you, you could be shoulder to shoulder with, with your competitors. And it depends who sells it for the lowest. And my dad taught me years ago with his place because he, my parents had restaurants. And during my building days, we we were fitting out a shop for him up in London. And, and I said to him, how do you work out your prices? And he said, well, I could cut my prices in half. He said, but why work twice as hard for the same amount of money? Yeah. And that stuck with me right throughout my life. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's true, you know. Why, why work morning till night for little reward? Mm, mm. You know? Exactly. I mean, it's, I, I, miss the, I miss the days of drum shops, your local issue. I mean, where I am, we've never really had a local drum shop. We've always had to travel a bit, but I've always had ones that I've gone to where, the, where I've been, you know, um, I'm not going to mention any names, but you always get looked after. The 
you know, yeah. they're not there anymore. That's the sad thing. You names, I don't mind. The thing is, with it, is that I used to, in my younger days, I used to go to Drum City in Shaftesbury Avenue. Mm. All the shops around it was a day out. And you go and push your nose up against the window. Yeah. And look at what you couldn't afford. Absolutely. My a, dream was a, a day yeah. out. That's, that's, the, that's the thing. It was, but it, it's, there's nothing now because you don't build up um, any loyalty with shops. Mm. Yeah. Because nowadays people are even saying, you know, where can I get the cheapest sticks? It's not, you know, I'll go and try some and stuff. It's, it's yeah. just like, who's the cheapest. Yeah, exactly. So it cheapens everything we do. Yeah, but the days of days have gone of, <laughs> of dreaming about a kit, saving for it, and then keeping it in the best condition you can. Yeah. I, see, I see kits that are trashed. Yeah. People just don't care. And I used to I used to do stuff for Crabby Otto. Mm. You know, and, and Johnny called me up and said, Will you look after our people in the UK and Europe? So I said, Yeah, please do. You know, and I, I I was out there on tour and I went to see Johnny at his factory. Mm. And, you know, beautiful stuff. But whenever it went out to an artist, I'd always have a note inside the flight cases to please return it in the same condition it left my place. Yeah. And unfortunately, all the techs who looked after it did. I didn't want to see any scratches all over the top of the Tom and Tom rash on it. And, you know, just abuse, really, where people think, oh, it's not mine. Who cares? There's no excuse for it, really, is there? None at all. No. No. So... It's just having standards, you know. But um, I think maybe some stuff is, is too easily got these days. Mm. You know, yeah. we, we, it's not cherished. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. I mean, the shop I used to go to, I'll, I'll mention it because Paul's a good friend of mine, was Electro Music in Doncaster. Oh, yeah, I know, I know of them. Ah, oh, well, Paul, Paul Monday, who's probably going to watch this. Um, you'd, yeah, you'd go there and you'd have the biggest welcome you could ever wish for, the cup of tea, whatever you want, and you'd spend all day in there and you'd and I'd, I'd always buy something. And it was a day out, as you said, day out, you know. And The only problem for me is um, I didn't really have customers in the shop because hmm. we were mainly rental. Yes. <clears throat> and repairs. There was no need for customers to come into the shop. And we didn't have the people to look after them while they're there because it stops us working. Yeah, of course, yeah. So when people used to say, can I come and look in your shop? I'd always say no. And it seemed a bit brutal, but we haven't got the time to stand with someone all day long because I've done it with different people that I know. Yeah. And yeah. Minute you're looking at your, your clock and it's like five o'clock and all you've done is drink tea and biscuits with someone yeah. and got the day behind with, with your work. So... It wasn't that we were being unfriendly. It was just the fact that it did us no favours. Not too bad if they could have spent four grand on a vintage kit or something as they take it, you know, as they leave. But uh... yeah. <laughs> so, yeah so you've got, have you still got a lot of kits and stuff? Because I know you, you do rentals for, for studios and for whatever. And I, I've been, I've been depleting my stock gradually over the yeah. past time because I, I sort of buy everything, thinking yeah. I might get asked for that, I might get asked for that. And as the years went by, you know what goes out and what doesn't. Mm. Mm. So, you know, if kits are sitting there and never go out, you say, oh, I'm going to let that go. Yeah, yeah. Cool for it. So I've, I've spinned it out a bit over the years. Yeah. But I've got my main kits and I know they work in the studio. And, and I love going into the studio with one of the kits. You know exactly what it will do. Yeah. What sounds it will produce. Yeah, yeah. And what type of heads you know, is best for it and that kind of stuff. But 
Um, in a way, there's too much choice these days with heads. Yeah. I think it confuses people. Yeah. You know, as to whether you like whichever brand. Yeah. Um, but um, I think when you get too much choice, that's what sends your head wobbling a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I've, I personally, I, I, um, I've used for many years Remo Emperors, Coated Emperors. I love the warmth. Yeah. And, and, you know, yeah. uh, I just, just think they do everything <laughs> that they need to do. I think for me, um, emperors and ambassadors coated combination yeah. works. And I, you know, coming from the days of the 60s where, you know, all the Tamler artists and stuff, um, those beautiful Tom sounds they used to produce, you know. And uh, I just think that's it. That's it. You don't need any more than that. Absolutely. So sometimes I don't know what people are looking for. Mm, mm. People have described well, they de described their tom sounds that they wanted or their snare sound to me in like colours. And I'm thinking, <laughs> I don't know, mate. <laughs> you know, it's just if I if I hear it, yeah, I reproduce it. But I, someone describing a sound to me, if they said to me, "Can you get that tom to sound like so and so's record?" Yeah, I probably can. Yeah, when they say it to me, I'm thinking, nah, I've got to hear it. Yeah, yeah. You know, I've had people say, "Can you can you make my drums sound like drums on T for the Tiller Man?" You know, Cat Stevens. We did that in the early seventies. Yeah, you know, and in a studio with all their outboard gear. Yeah, no one's going to recreate it. It's the, it's the drummer who produces the sound. Yeah, yeah. How you strike your drum as well. It's not just a case of copying what he's got on his heads and stuff. It's kind of how you strike it. Mm. So they're all the sort of little tricks you learn over the years. And yeah. I've nicked a rap from all the people I work for. But that's but the way it should be. That's it, I think. Yeah, yeah. I, I sort of, someone comes in and does something, oh, I like that. Mm. And then I'll nick it and then pretend it's mine. Yeah. <laughs> we all do it, I think. So it's, uh, <laughs> well, and it's for sharing. Yeah, absolutely. So how's things been, you know, during um, this uh, lovely pandemic, pandemic even? Have you well, been? Have you obviously, like everyone, you've lost a ton of work. Yeah, but um, you know, over the last few years, I I've only ever really gone on the road for four or five months a year. Okay, you know, yeah, I just I can't see the point in going all the time. Yeah, because you end up with with a life on the road and nothing else. Yeah, yeah, and and it's not that crucial to me. I mean, you know, if you've got a family and stuff around you. You know, you, you could get to 60 and look back and think, you know, my kids are in their 40s now and I've not seen them. Yeah, growing up without you, yeah. yeah. And I've got two sons on the road. Right. And one, unfortunately, plays guitar. <laughs> he's also He also plays drums, but professionally he's a guitar player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And all my, all my sons play. Brilliant. Um, but they, and they all do different things, you know. So whoever was the most interested is in the business and the other two are calm just funny enough all right okay that's good yeah so they've they've all sort of gone the way they should go you know and and uh, it's it's worked out quite good to be honest yeah absolutely have you and i'm not after names but have you ever had anybody you've worked with who you've gone never again <laughs> is there anybody that's that's you know i say i don't want names because i know you wouldn't anyway but no um No, it's more of a case of, no, there's no one really. 
That's good. It's upset me enough for me to, mm. you know, whack them with a symbol stand or anything. <laughs> no, it is, they've all just been nice as pie, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, all been absolute gents, you know, and kind of what helps is when you've worked for a few people, you get kind of, you get respected by the others for it. Yeah. You know, mm. and you get far more in life than being polite. Yes. Than you do with shouting your mouth off. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the people I've worked for, and it's, you know, there's loads of people that are absolute gents that could easily, you know, go mental at something. Yeah, yeah, of course. And, and, you know, you're talking about people like Jim Keltner, Henry Spinetti and stuff. They're, they're all in that same vein as Gad. Mm. Mm. And, you know, even Ringo and stuff, they're all nice as pie, you know. They just do what they do because they love it. Yeah. And they're all happy with their lives. Mm. You know, I find the worst ones are those who maybe are trying to punch above their weight and can't work out why... They're not, you know, at the top of the tree of something or yeah. whatever. It's not just how you play, it's your attitude as well. Of course. If, if the other musicians and the producer and engineers like having you working in their environment. Yeah. That plays a lot in it. Of know. course, of course. It's like every time I see Whitey, you know, he's always a gent. Yeah. You know, and he's a credit to the UK music industry. <laughs> You're not wrong there. You're not wrong. He really is. And you sort of think, well, you know, and even Steve Barney, you know, we... He's always funny. He doesn't take himself seriously, you know. Plays like a demon. Yeah. Totally. You know, and um, good to have around. And that's, you know, he makes the band laugh and the crew laugh and the whole thing. And that's how it works. Everyone becomes a friend and um, you enjoy seeing each other and working together. Doesn't get any better than that, I don't think. Well, look, we'll leave it there. Yard, it's been a total privilege. Um, I, I know anyone watching... Uh, is going to enjoy this. I know. I know you're a bit sceptical, <laughs> <laughs> but but you know it's it's a great insight to what goes on behind the scenes and um, something we don't get to talk about every day. So yeah. I really appreciate it, mate. Thank you very much. My pleasure. So let's hope we get back to it very soon and um, get back to some kind of normality. Who knows? Well, it it will pick up again, but it's going to take a while. But I'm just sad that through no fault of their own, it's ruined the careers. Of a lot of people and a lot yeah. of businesses. Yeah, absolutely. How their life savings into a business only to have it wiped out. Yeah. Something beyond their control. Yeah. And, you know, as a business owner, and, you know, my parents and my family are all in business. Yeah. Um, it's a struggle. It is. It is. But hey, look, things can only get better, as they say. Yeah. Hopefully. Can't get any worse, can they? Onwards and upwards. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Yard. Really appreciate it, mate. Take care. Okay. All right, thanks, mate.